TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Need your Minnesota United soccer fix? We've got it for you here. It's Loon Talk on Score North. That's right. Welcome into the second edition of Loon Talk. Thank you for tuning in once again. Jonathan Harrison here. Producer here at Score North, produced for Purple Daily and Mackie and Judd with Rami. Also, I am the host of the pre, half, and post game shows for Minnesota United Radio broadcast right here on Score North, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. Thank you for tuning in. I would like to welcome in my second guest of the show. Chris Ladone was the first. You can find that on Apple, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you find your podcasts. Jeff Ruder of The Athletic. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. You got a show. Yeah. This is great. I'm loving it. Yeah. And we're in Congratulations. I'm taping it in the nice podcast studios here at Scornor, so this is a much better podcast studio than my basement where I recorded <laughs> my last podcast episode when I had a show. So you're doing great. Lightly yeah. years ahead. Uh so let's uh let's get into where we were at today. Mm-hmm. Allianz Field, because mm-hmm. Minnesota United opens up their home schedule a little bit earlier this season, thankfully. Right. Uh, they'll open it up next week. Media food tasting day. Media food tasting day. So we're recording this at 6.30. Yep. We got to Allianz Field at 11.30 a.m. We probably finished eating at about 12.15, and I have not been hungry nope, for the yet. last like six and a half hours. I've been super tired. Yes. But not hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I've wanted to take a nap, right. but right. radio producing. Yep. That's what, what, was the, what was the thing that you liked the most? You know, there are a lot of really cool vendors that they're mm-hmm. bringing in, a lot of really good local restaurants, chefs that are, are trying new things, which is really cool, too. It's, like, it's not just, okay, we're going to copy-paste over this dish from French Meadow. Yeah. We're going to bring this over from a restaurant that you know. It's We're going to work with, for example, like Brasa, and they're going to make a burrito that they don't make in restaurant, and you're able to you know, have their great... You know, their rice, their beans, yeah. and their meat that they do, and but you're going to put it in a tortilla. So it's something that's really cool. But what I think I liked the best was actually made by the chefs at Allianz Field, not by an outside restaurant. Their pork shoulder that they did was yeah. just unbelievable. Just a great dry rub on it. Real simple. It's going to pair well with pretty much anything else that you find. Grand Ole Creamery is going to be there, which is really cool. They're missing kind of that just scoop of ice cream yeah. that you want. Their desserts. Sorbet. The desserts are fantastic. The vegan options. I tried the jackfruit sandwich. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. I loved it. I loved it. Absolutely it loved it. Yeah. Uh, I think that they did really well yeah. with it, honestly. I think the thing I like that they're doing this year is that they're changing stuff up like month to month. Right. They're, I don't remember which one it was. I think it was, it was their the taco burrito. stand. Yeah, the taco stand. The taco stand. They won't have every they won't have the same thing all year long. Right. They're gonna change it up month by month. Which is great. When you have yeah. it's not the twins, right? It's not eighty one right. games at home where you're just trying to find ways to, you know, keep people coming back. <laughs> right. It's seventeen games. Mm-hmm. But the fact that there's still every three or four games, they're going to say, okay, the taco stand is doing something completely different this time. Yeah. Check it out. I think that that's really sharp. I think that that's a really good way to also keep these vendors engaged with it and not just say, okay, we've got our 2020 slate and talk to you in 2021 or whatever. It's really exciting. I was talking to a couple of the chefs at the event, uh, not for a piece, just for fun. And Mm -hmm. they they were really, really excited by how dynamic it is, how much freedom and creativity they were actually able to bring into it, too. It's... When you think stadium food, you're not thinking creative chefs, yeah. but the fact that they're all energized by it is a really good sign, too. You're not thinking, like, mini churros and no. and burritos, <laughs> like special made burritos. You're thinking Ugh. normally corn dogs, which, if you listen to Score North, I love corn dogs. I love corn dogs, I, too. I corn dogs are pronto pups. 
Corn dogs. Yes, I'm here. I dressed up Same in a corn dog suit at the state fair, and we went around reviewing corn dogs. So I love it. I if, love it. If you want to scroll back through the Score North Twitter feed, it's back in August when the state fair was going on. <laughs> um, so let's get to. Uh, we both kind. Of, well, I know I rewatched that uh, Minnesota United season opening win three one. Oh, the soccer part of the, the soccer, soccer part. Yeah, not the, not the food. Okay, <laughs> not the food. We'll move on to the soccer part of it. Okay. okay. Um, Minnesota United open up the season three one win in Portland. Huge win. First time you've ever they've ever won at Portland, so right. that's a great and way the to first start time the that Portland's ever lost their home opener to any really? team. Wow, since joining MLS, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gio Severici didn't seem too happy with the way his team played in the second half. We'll get to that here in a second. What did you think of the starting lineups for each side? Minnesota United, well, both teams going with the four two three one. Minnesota United going with the same back line they had, except Tyler Miller's in goal this time. Ozzy Alonso, Jan Gregish, and then Robin Lode. Kevin Molino, Ethan Finley in the attack with Luis Amaria up top. That was the most predictable mm-hmm. season opening lineup Minnesota's ever had. Right. And I'm not even just saying the last four years. I am including the NASL era. Really? Yeah. This was the first time that it was obvious. Here's your starting striker. Yeah. Okay, the wingers are going to end up being these two guys. Molino's going to have to play the number 10. The midfield, the defense, why would you change it? And you brought in a starting goalkeeper. It was the first time going into a season where the depth chart that I was making was 100% right with the one that Adrian Heath was putting together, which right. was just a little rewarding. But I think <laughs> it also just shows that how targeted this offseason was. Last offseason, it was broad strokes. Mm-hmm. It was, we need to change the entire defense. We need to get a starting caliber goalkeeper. We need to try to find some goals. And this year, it was, okay, our defense is great. Uh, one of the best in Major League Soccer. The midfield pairing works really well off of each other. We think we have enough talented wingers. We just need to get a striker, a new starting goalkeeper. And they tried as hard as they possibly could to bring in a new number 10, and it didn't materialize. But I thought that it makes a lot of sense on paper. It does play to a lot of players' strengths, maybe not in one or two positions, mm-hmm. but on the whole, it's it's a strong playoff caliber lineup from day one. I think everybody will keep asking this until May 7th hits. Right. You think it's going to happen right now so? When? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, listen, everything changes so much with these yeah. international transfers on a day-to-day basis, but the way the tea leaves are shaking out right now, I would be very surprised if it happens in the spring. Yeah. That's not to say that's not going to happen in the summer, and Boca Juniors does go on a little bit of a hiatus coming up soon, mm-hmm. which would be a really prime time to re-intensify those negotiations so i'm not going to say there's a zero percent chance that it happens before may 7th right but at this point the negotiations started in such a different place for each club in terms of minnesota looking for a loan at first and then not having the same valuation of the player as boca juniors right uh, one of the largest clubs in argentina and in all of south america so I think that there was a lot of ground to cover. Boca Juniors also lost a couple of key players, one to Major League Soccer, a second one might be coming to Major League Soccer, actually, and then another one also going abroad. So there's a lot of, well, we would have to replace that player. We don't have the players in ready. Mm -hmm. Again, this isn't a club that is ever satisfied with a rebuilding year. That is not a term that's in Boca Juniors (laughs) lexicon. So they are going to wait till those replacements come in or they know they're imminent, and I'm just not sure that's quite the case. I love that they're going after the number 10 of one of the biggest clubs in South America and this side of the globe. I love that yeah. they're not willing to go for the random Scandinavian guy anymore. They want, not anymore. They want right. that number 10 from the biggest club in South America or one of the biggest clubs in South America. All right, so back to the game. Sure. Uh, 
first half was a little bit disappointing. They started off pretty shaky. Portland was pressing, 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 pressing the hell out of Minnesota yep. the first couple minutes there. Minnesota setting up 4-2-3-1, although it did look like a 4-4-2 in defense. Right. Um, I mean, what they grew into the game throughout that first half. What did you think as you were watching that Tyler Miller shaky start with mm. the the odd tackle? I mean, looking back at it, it looked like it might have could have been a penalty. The the Icopara one, looking back, probably was the pen was the right call. Right, that was um, the right call. Yeah. yeah, I think Tyler Miller started off shaky, but then grew into the game just like the rest of the team. It took until about the twenty fifth minute for them to finally get a good amount of possession. I, so that's been a recurring theme with Minnesota United yeah. over the last few years is that starting games is not their forte. No. I don't know if it's something about pep talks. I don't know if it's something about their conditioning before games. I don't know if it's just their mentality as they're entering the field. Maybe they're getting too hyped by the new Hans Zimmer. Uh, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? League anthem. Who, whom among us does not love Hans Zimmer? Uh, so I, I if you don't, don't, you're wrong. I'm just that's going to state also that. Correct. That's Hans my Zimmer hot take Dogs, of the show. Those are your two kicks. Yes. Great. I think that... You could tell the team did not want things to get out of hand mm-hmm. immediately. I think that there was a major emphasis on keep your shape. What is the area of the field that we're most confident in? Well, it's probably the area of the field that you didn't feel a need to address in the offseason, right? Yeah. So if you're going to say, okay, here's our midfield, here's our defense, those six players are back, you are very comfortable embracing pressure, opening yourself to have Portland uh, with more time on the ball, with more attacking intention than your team minnesota only attempted one shot in the first or two shots in the first half neither on target portland attempted eight if i recall i just wrote this this. that's why i know this like a weird (laughs) savant sort of thing and they only had one on target so that's also that's a good defensive record and that's also making sure that you're condensed and a lot of portland shots in the first 25 minutes yes minnesota was getting battered and battered in the possession game but the shots were coming in from outside the yeah. box. That's one thing I noticed too during yeah. the halftime show when looking at that shot chart is that those most of those shots were coming from outside the box. And as I was watching the first half again, you could see almost the confidence grow from the back to the front. Right. You know, in the beginning minutes, they couldn't string a pass together, it almost seemed like. They just couldn't find who they they couldn't get the ball to the guy they wanted to. Not at all. And then the defense was allowing pressure inside a little bit more than they probably should. Then all of a sudden Portland couldn't penetrate the box. Right. And that pressure, that confidence grew from that back line, Tian Gregish and Ozzy Alonso, and then throughout the rest of the half up to the front, and then the second half, then it came undone. And that, I think this is something that does play into the player's strengths, is actually defending and relying more on the counter than actually relying on possession. When Adrian Heath came up to Major League Soccer with Orlando City in 2015, he was known as a possession-based coach. He was mm-hmm. known as someone who wanted his players to play with the ball. I mean, he had Kaká on his roster too, right? So he's <laughs> right. going to want Elps. He's he would prefer Kaká with the ball at his feet than him trying to briskly jog back on defense, which is mm-hmm. just not something that a 32-year-old Kaká was going to be doing for you anymore. So as Adrian has evolved as a coach over the last five seasons now. He has become much more entrusting of his defenses. He has a much more talented defense over the last 13, 14 months than he ever had in Orlando or certainly ever had in the TCF Bank Stadium era. And so trusting that the defender of the year, trusting that the goalkeeper from the reigning Supporter Shield winner, that uh, New Zealand international captain, that Romain Metinair and Chase Gasper in fullback are going to be able to do what they need to do to really... Just keep a game at a lull. I think that's probably 
their most comfortable spot is with an opponent not feeling like we've got him, we've got him pinned against the ropes. Let's really go after them. Let's slug them. It's just let's let them keep the ball, but be a little confused because they don't know how to break us down. Mm-hmm. And then by the time they turn it over, we have Ethan Finley back at 100%. We have Kevin Molino, who's confident on the ball again. Uh, we have Robin Lode, who offers different things. And I think we're still trying to figure out what they saw in him and what yeah. Minnesota wants to get out of him. And then you have Luis Amaria now, who looks like the most complete, even just after one regular season appearance, yeah. already looks like the most complete striker the team has ever had. And we can mm-hmm. get into that later, maybe. But that is a core that you can really build around. And that's a core where you can say, we don't need the ball at our feet at all times. I think that the confidence part of Kevin Molino's game was something he obviously lacked last year. And people who have listened to the first two episodes have heard me say it that it's that second year from that injury mm-hmm. that we've seen across all sports. And it seems like both those guys, Ethan Finley and Kevin Molino, are now much more confident than they were last year running on those legs that had that injury. Yeah. And it showed. Both those two were were probably the best two players for Minnesota United, maybe outside of Michael Boxel, who had himself one of his best games as a Minnesota United defender. And there's a reason that Adrian Peterson's comeback season is so spectacular yeah. and so memorable because, like you it said, shouldn't with, these, happen. with these ACL injuries, it just shouldn't happen yeah. physically. And it's not always just the knee itself. Like, yes, there's going to be some soreness. There's going to be a little mm-hmm. bit of tension as you're making the cuts that you used to make before the injury. But it's just the mental belief that I can make that run. I can sprint at this speed. I can cut in this direction mm-hmm. with this plant on turf. And it's not going to re-aggravate yeah. it. And it's not going to redo the last 12 months of recovery that I've done. Right. It's brutal. It's absolutely He knows he can brutal. make the pass. He knows right. he can shoot the ball how he wants it to. It's just making that run on those different Yep, th- those different fields. Yep. Um, as I mentioned, Michael Boxel had was probably the lone player for Minnesota United who had a good, good solid ninety minutes. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd agree. he made he had made a bunch, a couple good interceptions and tackles in that first half that prevented goals. Um, there was a great interception, I think, in the twentieth minute where he cut off a pass from Marrera to Jimmy Chara, and it prevented a goal. Yep. Yep. And, and there were a couple of other cases too. Right before that first goal, Minnesota scored in the second half. There was a corner kick Minnesota had that got cleared immediately by Portland. Yeah. And Yimmy Chara and a couple of other Portland players were leading a counterattack. And it was really just the two trailing loons who are always sitting back whenever they're doing a counterattack um, or whenever they're setting up for a corner kick. You always have Alonzo and Gasper sitting back. And it was really just the two of them against about four Portland Timbers. And they were able to hold their own and really kind of keep them at bay. And it might have been Boxel. No, I'm pretty sure it was Alonzo who at that point just had a nice sliding tackle. Yeah, it was Alonzo. Yep, and was able to get it back. And that sort of stuff, uh, you know, that's the the kind of play that you need to be able to have when you're going to try to take the risks uh, that Minnesota does sometimes. But Boxel, in his central role, whether it was his interceptions, being able to keep Chara largely out of the game in his first game yeah. as the, the club's marquee number nine, and partnering again with Ikopara and being able to keep a good offside trap, be able to uh, be that kind of lumbering presence in the center of the box. Yeah, I think that he's once again reminding why he is truly a starting caliber center back on an MLS playoff team. Uh, So let's go on to the second half when all the scoring finally happened. Right. Uh, You mentioned that play by Chase Gasper and uh, Ozzy Alonso to shut down that counterattack, and which basically essentially led to that first goal. It started off a great outlet pass from Jan Gregers to an open space for Ethan Finley to run into. Yep. And then Finley, I mean, it was it was a bit of a weird play there where 
where I think that's the Kevin Molino, if I'm remembering correctly. I'm trying to remember this off the top yeah, of my head. Yeah, that's his first one. Yeah, that was Kevin Molino just taking the ball off of a weird Steve Clark. Spill. Yep. Yeah, spill. Yep. And it's the pressure from Load who got the pressure on Steve Clark, who dove at Lod's feet, and the ball just doesn't end up in Steve Clark's hands like he wants it to, and Kevin Molino's just sitting there, okay, I'll take this, and right. slots it right in. Right. And that's the kind of play that he loves. So he... Yeah is not going to be that number 10 who's sitting back and is going to look for the pass. He's not Maxi Morales of NYCFC. He's not, yeah. we'll say, last year's Diego Valeri at the Portland Timbers where he wasn't looking to score it much. He just wants to set his teammates up. That's not going to be Kevin Molino. Kevin's going to be the kind of player who wants to get in the box, who wants mm-hmm. to get involved, who's going to be more comfortable in the role that he often plays with Trinidad and Tobago when he's on the national team. And right there, I mean, you saw it. Like, it's, it's a confident hit. It's not overthinking it and skying it off yeah. into Tacoma, Washington. A bunch of people. There's a bunch of Portland defenders around him, right? So he still has to place it accurately. Yep, yep. And he just has to stick a foot out. And it's finesse. It's not power. It's not placement. It's just somewhere in the middle of it. And that goal is obviously the second goal will do even more wonders. But that first mm-hmm. goal did so much wonders just to reaffirm to him it's a different season. Yep. You're back at a hundred percent. And yes. He hears it, right? I mean, we already talked about Reynoso. Every newspaper in town has been asking about Reynoso for a month. Every tweet mm-hmm. that I get has some mention of Reynoso these days. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's a very open secret at this point, and the players know that. Yeah. So for him to be able to have a brace in the season opener and to be able to actually have good interplay with Luis Amaria, to have good interplay with Ethan Finley, that goes a long way to cementing your place and making the team maybe think, okay, maybe this isn't, as high of a priority as we thought it was coming into the offseason. Right. They don't have to hopefully spend as much money as Boca wants them right, to. Right, right, right. It gives you a little more leverage. So that goal happened in the 51st minute to open up scoring in the game. And unfortunately, what it's kind of a habit at this point for Minnesota in their MLS tenure is giving up a goal almost immediately. Right. And they give on up because of an Icopara penalty, which if you go back and look at the replay, you may not want to admit it. it does very much look like a penalty at that no, point. No, 100% it's yeah. a penalty. It's it's a play where it's a smart attacker, first mm-hmm. of all. It's not, you know, it's not a reckless challenge. It's yep. not a poor tackle. It's the right attempt. He stayed on his feet. It's just that the striker positioned himself so that Opara would never be able to get to the ball unless he had some kind of like weird yeah. like uh, elastic leg <laughs> that could wrap around. Right. And that's just never going to be the case. And so he only got Striker. Yep. Player goes to ground. There's just no question about that one. I know that Minnesota was really upset about it. It wasn't, again, it wasn't hard. There was no way that no. was ever going to get like a yellow card or but a red card. But he got no ball. But he got no ball. Yeah. He got all of Felipe Mora's leg. Yep. Chase Gasper had a chance to get the ball away from there, but kind of whiffed on it. Yep. If you go back and look at it, um, it's a, it's just, it was, it's one of those things where they get the goal, Minnesota gets the goal. And like we saw the first two seasons specifically, they just give it up and, Thankfully, they didn't give up another one, which happened quite a bit in those, those first two seasons. Right. They kind of held their own after that. Um, but it's just annoying that it came so soon after getting your opening goal, after you know dealing with all the pressure that they put, that Portland put on them in the first half. You get this goal to give you a little bit of relief, and then Portland comes right back and gets a penalty, and Diego Valeri converts. But that part of that is just you're in the Western Conference, mm-hmm. and this year the Western Conference is stacked. ridiculous. Yeah, the top ten, even maybe eleven teams in the West, all look like they could comfortably make the postseason. Yeah, and if you're going to give just a bit of daylight to a team at their home stadium like that, and you're going to just kind of let down your guard for just three minutes, they're going to capitalize. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Portland or Seattle or it's Colorado. 
They're going to find a way to be able to make that happen. And that is going to be something, like you said, that was a hallmark of Minnesota more in past years, but even still in 2019. Mm -hmm. And that's something that they've got to work on. In some ways, you have to act like you didn't just score. Because once you start thinking, oh, we're winning, once you change that, your whole posture changes. You're a little more confident. You're a little more careless, possibly. And, And being able to mentally resolve and say, we're only up one instead of we're winning that's such a huge yeah. psychological change, and that's something that a lot of players do mention to me. Um, and I think that's something that most players, if not all at Minnesota these days, have in them. Certainly some in the past did not, but that is where those simple mistakes come in, is when you get just a little carried away with how confident you yeah. are. Immediately after that restart, after Portland gives up their goal, Minnesota have an absolutely perfect chance to get back the lead. Jan Gregor's crossed the ball into Amaria, who was alone in space at the back post. Amaria then found a streaking Robin Lud who one-timed it at Steve Clark, and Steve Clark made a hell of a save yep. to stop Robin Lud from getting his first goal for the team. Yeah, and what a goal that would have been for him. You know, like It was it, a great response, but yeah, that would have been a perfect chance to get your first it. goal. Yeah, he absolutely needs Dude it. Dude needs Gets, it. Get like, the pressure of the fans bad. off his back. Oh my gosh. I mean, like he played 10 games last year in all competitions. Mm-hmm. No goals, no assists. Yeah. Almost all of them were starts. He was starting over... Players like Kevin Molino, players like Miguel Ibarra, players like Abu Dunladi, who were in theory in better shape. And Adrian Heath was openly in the media saying, oh, he's coming back from fitness. He had just like a month off. You know, he, so why are you playing that guy? Right. And, and the idea was that there must have been something that was so good about him technically, something about him as a player that made him undroppable. And we just never saw that last year. Mm-hmm. And being, I know that there was progress and I know that goals are counting stats, but actually making that, seeing the goal ripple that just does so much to unlock a player's confidence and to actually get them working into the team more. Because right now there were three goals by Minnesota United and they were all scored or assisted by the three other attackers beside him. Who does that put the pressure on for the next week? Mm -hmm. And it's not like he had an awful game or a bad game. He was still, he was still present. And like I said, almost got a goal there. Um, But Amaria, we, you mentioned earlier, maybe the most complete attacker they've had. He looked so comfortable doing everything that you would want an attacker to do, including the holdup game where Angelo Rodriguez succeeded. Yep. But but where Angelo Rodriguez didn't have was the flair that Amaria does and the the ability to just go all over the pitch. Yeah, it, he just looks so much more mobile. Yeah. It, you know, and, and I know that there's a six year age difference, and obviously there's a lot that can happen for a holdup striker over six years mm-hmm. of wear and tear in Colombia. But it looked like a completely different player was up there. Yeah. You know, and like one, duh, of course, it was a completely different player. But just in terms of what Amaria offered, there was some of that hold up play, but it wasn't holding up for the sake of holding up. Right. It wasn't quite like he was just keeping the ball, knowing that the wingers would eventually get ahead of him. Mm-hmm. It was, okay, how do I work with it, whether it's as a decoy movement to be able to draw an extra defender away and open up more space for Finley, or it was to actually create his own. Uh, potential chance if you look at that third goal too he does just a little bit of that with his flick on header that yeah. he's able to send into kevin molino uh who then sends it over to ethan finley and then back over to kevin molino but um i thought that that was about as good of a debut as you could have hoped for for luis amaria he gets the goal the second goal for minnesota that starts off an ico para clearance right falls right perfectly to ethan finley who pulls it down and then races towards the corner that also on that that goal is Luis Amaria's run, off-the-ball run, where he kind of zigzags and diagonals and gets Mabiala 
pushing forward towards Ethan Finley for some right. reason is right. going away from where Amaria is going. And Ethan Finley, I think, said it after the game, was that he knew from practice that Amaria likes to back away a little bit from that far post. And, yeah. and Ethan Finley placed it perfectly. Amaria still had to get enough power on that header to get past Steve Clark, yep. and he did. So it was a great goal by Amaria. You watch a lot of the loons. Was that Ethan Finley's best game since he got traded in 2017? Absolutely. I think yeah. I think it's not even close that that was his best game. He was all over the pitch. He he bossed that right side of the field. He had, I, I'm trying to remember the left back for. Uh, Jorge Viafania, yeah, he who he has a Viafania. history with, by yeah. the way, from the 2015 MLS Cup, yeah. where as soon as... Uh, as soon as the Columbus crew advanced to the final in the locker room in Harrison, New Jersey, Ethan Finley saying like, oh, I love my matchup against Jorge Viafania <laughs> by name. And yeah. then Viafania ends up winning MLS Cup. Right. Yeah. But yeah, Viafania was was pushing forward because that's what Savarese wanted him to do. Right. And Ethan Finley's like, OK, you're going to leave me all this space. I'll take it. I'll use my speed. Yep. That's now fully back after after his injury. Right. Ethan Finley. It was his it was easily his best game as a loon. Yeah, it was it, the only other game I can think of that comes close is early 2018 it was the one where Molino actually ended up doing his ACL in Orlando yeah where he again had a brace and that was the one where Mason Toy you know was doing the whole it's over babies slit throat kind of motion right. his real first impression in Major League Soccer <laughs> uh unforgettable but that was the only other game that in my mind comes close just in terms of how dynamic he was how aggressive he was how intricate he was to every single thing that the attack did yeah uh he again he looks back to 100 percent, and that's all that's as good as a new player uh for adrian heath and he's he's very integral in the very next goal that happens just two minutes later where he does a creative flick behind his back over portland defenders he drew in those defenders i think there's like four or five of them around around him leaving kevin molino completely open inside the box just Okay, I'll take this. Yeah, and takes the ball down one one times it and puts it right past Steve Clark to put Minnesota up three one. And I think the thing that's most encouraging about all three of these goals, and you've walked through them all very well, none of these sound like flukes. Right. None of these sound like things where it's like, well, of course, like you know, when teams would score against Minnesota in twenty seventeen to early twenty nineteen, and they would just lump the ball over wherever Francisco Calvo had been or wherever <laughs> yes. even Roman Metinere at first for yep. his first few months when he was sending in like nine assists and the, the season's first four months or whatever it was, something crazy. Like they just knew, okay, that fullback pocket is going to be wide open and you're just going to keep going after it over and over and over again. It was just systemic. And that was the sort of thing that with these Minnesota United goals, it wasn't a fallacy of Portland's. Yes, they were over-aggressive. No, their shape wasn't great. But these are the kinds of goals that you can confidently replicate Mm-hmm. against other teams whether at home or especially on the road yeah and that's going to be important for them this season more so than any because as you mentioned the western conference is stacked this year uh molino subbed off after that goal with dotson coming on it basically looked like it was a 4-3-3 from there with dotson dropping back into that midfield i didn't get giovanni severice subs at all Mm-mm. i didn't understand it espria did nothing he took off yumi chara for espria Jimmy Charles was the one who was causing the most problems for Minnesota and he took him off. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not like absolutely. And the broad the Fox Sports One broadcast, I think, said Chara was a little bit feeling a little bit of the stamina issue. Didn't seem like it. Seemed no. like he was still causing Minnesota problems deep into that second half. Yeah. And he was drawing by far the most interest yeah. from the center backs. And and once you replace him with Dyrona Spria, who clearly is doing something right if he keeps getting these Portland Timbers minutes. <laughs> right. But outside of a handful of mostly playoff appearances, I just haven't seen it from him. I thought that Jeremy Abobasi would have made much more sense. Yeah. Uh, just in terms of what he could offer actually being a player who can score a goal. Or if nothing else, being a player that 
Sebo Blanco and Diego Valeri can work off of in the final third, which Obobese is incredible at these days. But it wasn't that player, right? Right. And, and you're right. Espria just wasn't going to be able to put the pressure on or certainly wasn't going to be able to win a one-on-one matchup with any of Gregor's Alonso, Opara, or Boxel, uh, whether it's physically or just in speed. And once that's out of the picture and you have just kind of a, a dead space at the top of your lineup, it's so much easier to contain the rest of it. I didn't understand the next substitution they did. Paradis coming off for Ibo BC. Yep. I mean, I get wanting to bring on Jeremy because yep. he's he's good in the attack, but you also took away one of your central midfielders right when Minnesota added one, right yeah. when you need goals, you would think you would still want to be able to close down that midfield and you took off one of your guys. And that's that's got to be the moment where, uh, I mean, up two goals and suddenly up two midfielders, that's got to be a moment where you feel like, okay. Yeah, we got this. As long as the players are still locked into this and there is an incredible mishap of a dog pile after that third goal which is just beautiful and well worth watching as Jan Gregus tries to protect his nose from Michael Boxel's yes. hip uh he seemed so irritated coming so out of that irritated. dog pile yeah uh and, and a really good expectations versus reality Instagram story and <laughs> from Michael Boxel but once that comes in it really just felt like the result was done yeah. you know this was one of the rare times where watching this team and sitting back uh, from a neutral perspective it didn't seem like it was wobbly yeah, It didn't seem like they were going to make the same mistakes that had haunted them for the first two and a half years uh, of their time in Major League Soccer. It really seemed like they were in control, that they were confident, and that they were truly, even away from home, the better team. And I don't think Portland's going to be as good as uh, a lot of my peers do uh, in, yeah. in the national media these days by the look of it. But they're still a good team. They're clearly doing something right with the results that they've had in recent years. But it just looked like Minnesota was the better team on the day. I think I saw it was their third, it was their sixth loss in the last ten home games or something like that. Yeah, because they had that really wonky schedule yeah. with Providence Park's remodeling last year, where mm-hmm. like fourteen of their last seventeen games or something were at home. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not putting too much stock into Adrian Heath putting on Aaron Schoenfeld over Mason Toy, just because you look at the the height advantage. You look at what you would want Aaron Schoenfeld to do in the final minutes as you try to kill off the clock. So I don't, I'm not putting too much stock into Mason Toy not getting the substitution over Aaron Schoenfeld. I don't think Aaron Schoenfeld's above Mason Toy in that pecking order unless you think differently. Well, so I think that if, you're, if you need a goal, Mason Toy is yeah, definitely absolutely. the next guy up. Yep. Right? Because I don't think that there's any player at any position who was on the bench that day or any other day, really, that you would confidently say is more likely to score than Mason Toy. Right. But when you're up to and you know that you're going to be facing a lot of aerial chances yep. in the box. Get the guy who's 6'4 on. It might be a good idea, right? <laughs> Maybe the guy who knows how to head the ball in also knows how to head the ball away if yeah. he really needs to. And he has an inch or two on Mason. And he has a proven record of just being like an absolute battler in the final third. And you look at that too. He's able to get a ball. And his instinct isn't like it's like a one-on-two break or something like in mm-hmm. the 88th to 90th, somewhere in that range minute. Yeah, around there. Yeah, and instead of just running into the box and maybe just being like, okay, can we make it four? Let's just go. Let's go. Let's go. And frankly, youthfully, I think that's what Mason would have done. Right. And especially if you're looking at the tape of him in LAFC and especially now that he's been dropped out of the lineup, he's probably going to try to make that chance. And if that goes high or wide or is saved by Steve Clark, that's a counterattack. Again, mm-hmm. instead, Schoenfeld does the veteran thing, runs into the corner, wastes some more time, gets a corner kick out of it, bleeds even more of the clock. He uses away. all of his giant frame to just all hold up the it. ball and like not let anybody, not let any Portland guy at the ball, yeah. and then gets thrown perfectly. Yep. Um, yep. 
that Mora goal in stoppage time, so unbelievably close. I don't know how they looked at it so quickly and decided, nah, he was offside. Yeah, I I don't know, man. Especially because refs are, or uh, linesmen are told, don't put your flag up. Right. If you think it's like 50-50, don't put your flag up. Let's let us take care of it. Mm-hmm. And which also means that times where players are offside, they won't raise it. And times that they aren't, sometimes they do. Just right. to like, trigger the review, which is just crazy. Uh, and, and there are times where... Once you get that close in that big of a moment of a game, they're pretty much just on a mental vacation and they're just going to let the play play out and let VAR cover for them either mm-hmm. way because no one will talk about you know whether or not uh, the, the the official with the flag actually raised it or not. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it was right. In yeah. my opinion, I thought it was completely yeah. a right call. It's just so unbelievably close and they called it so quick. I'm like, really? Yep. You guys are that confident already? Right, um, right. What did you take from that season opening win? I think it was a really important win for the team, as we mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast, to get that win in Portland, a place you've never won, a place you've only taken one point of, one point from. It's also like you kind of have Portland's number at this point. You've you've beaten them four times now yeah. in the six or the seven times you've played them right. in MLS right now. It's big. I mean, the parallels from 2017 really end with the fact that it was the season opener in Portland. Absolutely, yeah. You know, there's so little that's recognizable. There are only three or four players who are on... Well, there's two players who are on that initial roster who are still on the roster. There were four from the season end roster in 2017, and only five from the 28 team are still on the team. I think Molino's the only one who started that game who started this game. Right, yeah. And and that's, that's unrecognizable, which means that you're not going to have that sort of fear factor of... Oh, do you remember three years ago when? Yeah, they're so <laughs> tough to play. I know that we're a different group, but they're always so tough to play. We've got to respect them. It's no, we're going to beat them. You know, I think that that's big. I think that it helps with confidence. It helps reassure. They have this unbelievable obsession with what the national media thinks of the team. <laughs> and MLS. And I'm going to really yeah. stop talking at that point. But it helps <laughs> the national media realize that, yeah, last year wasn't a complete fluke or mm-hmm. the fact that all the players are back from last year in those key positions in defense and midfield. Yes, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yes, that's a formula that can work for a second straight year. Uh, we'll see as the season wears on with a couple of the players who might be a little bit older um, in terms of needing some rotation, whether it's Dotson or whether it's someone else stepping in, Brent Coleman, whoever else it may be. But it is certainly a group that looks like they're going to pick up where they left off from, let's say, the midpoint of last year and not necessarily the team that was outscored 13-12 to in their final 12 games, which means that they were very good defensively and very bad in the attack. Right. Um, so now that we finished that game, let's look at the rest of, or a little bit of the rest of uh, Match Week 1 for MLS. Before it all started, the roster rules were announced to have changed, mm-hmm. with MLS only now taking 5% of the transfer fee instead of the 25% that they used to take. I think that's a huge step for the league in telling teams, yeah, go out and sell your players. Let's become a selling league instead of let's go get that star name to draw in the American audience that didn't want those old star right. guys. They want the young guys who are really good right now. And th- that's the sort of thing where it's not just Atlanta who's signing $10 million young yeah. Argentines and looking to send them to Europe. That incentivizes your academy. Because if you sell a homegrown player for $2 million, before you were only seeing... I mean, even with some of the other cuts, like there were some stipulations where if they'd only been on the roster for a year or less, you got even less. If it was 
you know, a year and a half or two years, you're getting maybe right. 60% of it or whatever. You know, it was really... It basically re- de-incentivized teams yeah, to sell their players. Why would you sell a player within their first two years on the team was what it was. It mm-hmm. killed the transfer for Darlington Nagby trying to go to Celtic. Uh, right after he'd won MLS Cup, and now he hasn't left the league. He totally missed that boat. Yeah. And it was purely because there was just no reason for Portland to transfer him at that point unless mm-hmm. they were going to get back what their valuation was. So, like, if they valued him at $4 million, they wanted to sell him for six because then they actually got $4 million right. back. But and now the other clubs in the world don't care about that. No one has to think about that. Yeah. Nobody does. Solidarity payments are like a fraction of that. So right. the fact that now it's 95%, it means that when Tyler Adams gets sold for $3.5 million or whatever it was, and everyone's saying, oh, that's not enough. That's not what that player should be worth. Well, at least they're getting the vast majority of that back, right. the overwhelming majority of that back so that they can reinvest it. And it encourages them to continue doing that. For a team like Minnesota, it means that if you sell back or if Mason Toy or Hassani Dotson help the United States qualify for the Olympics, uh, I would imagine at least one, if not both, will be there at the end of the month for the qualifiers. Mm -hmm. And if they make it to the Olympics and they impress, if the Olympics actually happen, and if they impress, then they're going to be on an international profile. And if you get an offer where you're like, okay, but in two years they're going to be worth more, maybe you still take that offer because then it identifies yourself as a selling club. I think that that's really big and it's a really good step if MLS is actually going to take this whole selling club thing seriously. The bummer news of the weekend was Joseph Martinez injury, ACL tear at Nashville. Man, it's just it it raises a lot of questions of who's now the contender in the East, but where does Atlanta go from here now that Joseph Martinez, the guy who scored a majority of their goals over the last three seasons, is no longer there for him? I mean, it, it's huge uh, for Atlanta as a city too. He was he was yeah. really that first soccer player in Atlanta who actually kind of broke the zeitgeist of Atlanta sports, which uh, is incredibly hard to do because most of their regular or their other professional teams don't even do that. No, no, you've just got a handful. I, I, there was a, a piece over at MLSsoccer.com that really put it well. There's just such a small number of those kind of one name athletes. There. There's like Chipper. There's mm-hmm. Neek. There's you know just so few of these sort of players. And Joseph was. If he isn't there, he's right on the cusp of that. Yeah. And he, you know, committed to it. He wasn't a player who was like, I'm going to use this as a springboard to get to Europe. He was like, no, I want this to be my super club yeah. or whatever. Atlanta is much worse without him. But I think watching Major League Soccer on a whole is less enjoyable. Mm-hmm. He Absolutely. is one of my favorite players to watch in this league week in and week out. I, I will. I don't care who they're playing, whether they're playing against Cincinnati or they're playing against a good defense. I will watch Joseph Martinez because he will find a way to impress me every single time, whether yeah. it's his you know, jumping penalty kicks or it's just <laughs> him taking a shot that you would never think is possible from an angle that no one can make and actually burying it. Uh, the league is worse off without him. Uh, wishing him a safe recovery and, a, and mm-hmm. a quick recovery to a thorough one. But where does Atlanta go from here? <sighs> it's not Adam John, you know, no, who they it, just brought in yeah. from Phoenix Rising. Like, like that's he, not... he did well last year, but MLS is a whole other step from USL. We've yep. seen that. Yep. I don't I don't know where they they have time to obviously go out and buy a player but you also need to free up cap space. Yeah, they, the only way to do that is to put Joseph Martinez on season ending IR. Yep. Are you really going to do that when there's a possibility he might come back for the playoffs? And if I re- I think if I was them, I would absolutely put him on IR say, "Hey, take the year. We're going to want you next year. Yep. Don't risk it." We'll just get through this year. He's but, under contract for like 3 more years yeah. too. So So why risk it? Right. And I think the only reason they might not is if you put a player on IR, I believe the cap relief you get is $250,000. So it's not a whole lot. It's not a new DP. It's right. not a TAM player. You're signing 
it's not Christian Ramirez. It's not Giassi Zardes. Like, let's just keep going down this laundry list. It's not Jeremy Abobasi. It's not like you are. It's just not a workable cap number to find a replacement for someone like Joseph Martinez. So where do they go with it? I don't know. They might have to play with some sort of false nine sort of system and have like a PD Martinez or an Ezekiel Barco uh, moonlighting up top uh, like Spain did in 2010. Yeah. Like, it's just it's not it is a problem without a good, easy solution and it's one that, like you said, it really declaws what looked like the obvious favorite in the Eastern Conference for 2020. So who is the favorite then to you? Is it New York City FC? I mean, granted, they were down a man for 87 minutes. Right. They didn't seem like... Right. I don't know. I don't know that Ronnie Dahlia can do what Dom Torrent did. I mean, it's still one of the better rosters in the league. And even but... if he does, like, they're never good in the playoffs. No. Because they want to play the Man City way, and the Man City way does not do well in the American knockout arena. Mm-hmm. The, the postseason is a totally different thing. You need to just have some cojones to you. And yeah. for whatever reason, playing that beautiful passing-based, uh, just gorgeous-on-the-eye style never does well. Ask LAFC. It never does well yeah. in the playoffs. It hasn't done well in the playoffs. You need to have that good balance between the two. So if that's the case, I mean... <sighs> A team like Columbus might see that as an opportunity. Although they didn't look too no, terribly convincing no. to me. There isn't like, a great team in the East yeah, anymore. Columbus, they were up a man for 87 minutes, and they only got one goal. Right. You would think you'd be able to get more, especially at home, yep. season opener. Yep. You can only muster one goal with a completely revamped lineup right. that's geared towards the attack now. Absolutely. Yeah, which they haven't been in a long time. I don't think that there's an obvious great team in the East anymore. I don't think Philadelphia repeats what they nope. did last year. Nope. Toronto's aging and they've got some injuries that they're dealing with. They're going to miss Bradley for the first few months. Josie's head doesn't look in me. it. Yep. Why wait for so long? To right. that surgery. Oh my but gosh. At it's this point, terrible. It's, it's terrible. And it's not just because of Michael Bradley purely, who I do still think is one of the better midfielders in Major League Soccer. Mm-hmm. That whole locker room loves Michael Bradley. Right. And so the fact that they took this risk with Bradley and then the first week of preseason was like, oh, he's not ready. Never mind. Like that makes the entire team distrust. And Josie Altador publicly questioned. Yeah. You know, the training staff and that whole mm-hmm. decision making uh, got fined a pretty heavy amount for it, but he can afford it. Um, <laughs> it's not good. Right. And then if you're looking beyond that, New York Red Bulls got way worse over the offseason. Yep. And they weren't they even didn't convince against before. FC Cincinnati. No. Yeah. Cincinnati is not going to obviously not going to. And then yeah. you're looking at that like next tier, like that tier with like Cincinnati, Orlando. <sighs> I don't think that DC, no, no, none of these teams are going to be able to. This looks like a year where the West genuinely might have like the four best teams in MLS this year. Good thing Minnesota only has to play one of the top four from last year's East. And it's and, Atlanta. Yeah, and it's Atlanta who just lost, and it's Atlanta here right. who just lost Joseph Martinez. Um, MLS debuts for Inner Miami and Nashville. I thought Nashville actually played pretty well against Atlanta. They, you know, their clear focus on getting. MLS veterans and defense worked for them. It's a backhanded compliment, but I think as an expansion team, you'll take it. They were much more competitive than I expected. Mm -hmm. And I know they were playing at home, which means that you should be better. But Atlanta's not that far away. Like The travel isn't going to be an issue for a team like Atlanta. Atlanta still had a sizable fans. fan support show. Yeah, they did. Oh, it was so loud. You could hear that over and over and over. But I, I think that Walker Zimmerman coming over, that's massive for that team. I think that... There are a couple of other veterans. Daniel Lovitz is 
you know, for better or worse, one of the better left backs in the American player pool right now. And that Mm -hmm. says a lot about the position, but he (laughs) is a very capable, bona fide starting left back in Major League Soccer. Right. Uh, Then you have in the midfield. I want to see more from Hani Mukhtar. He just didn't look like he was really a playmaker. Right. I want to see something from the wingers because I certainly don't think David Akam is the player he was four years ago in Chicago. And uh, you saw more from the USL winger they brought up. Yeah. Then you did from their starters who played in MLS before. It was a clear sign that the weaknesses that everybody said Nashville had, the striker and the right back position, they really showed yep. where your starting center back gets your lone goal and looks good doing it. Yep. Also, I love the idea of making the wax Ugh, at the stadium. So yep. Pressing pressing it, a goal call on vinyl. It's amazing. That is so good. Uh it's such a unique idea. Totally Nashville, obviously. Yep. But it's such it's such a cool you know, it's a, such a cool feature of that team. Yep. But but to your point about the goal scoring, if I told you right now Walker Zimmerman was going to lead the team in goals this year, <laughs> would you confidently tell me I'm wrong? No. That's the hard part, right? Yeah. Like, is it going to be Abu Dunladi? No. no. We've is, seen enough of him it, no. the past three years. Is it going to be Dominic Baji? Of course not. No. Is it going to be Daniel Rios? That transition from the second division to the first is hard. I think that he's the most likely. Mm-hmm. I rate him, and I, I cover the USL a lot in my work, too. I'm not confident that there's a 10-goal scorer on that roster, oh. and you really cannot uh, thrive in Major League Soccer with that one. Yeah. I, I'm i pretty confident saying they're not going to be in the playoffs, but I'm also pretty confident saying they're not going to be FC Cincinnati or right. Minnesota from the first two years. That defense is not going to be terrible. Minnesota from the first two years in the table, maybe. I think yeah. you're right about the defense, 100%. Yeah. You're right. That is That looks like a, a, you know, a competitive mm-hmm. MLS defense, but... Minnesota finished. They had ten wins in the first season. They scored a lot of goals. Those scored first two a lot seasons, of goals so in the first two years, helped. relatively. Yeah, I think that finishing tenth would be a pretty good year for them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that would be you know a total laughing matter, even with the West as it is now. Yeah. As for Miami, uh, I held think they'll make LAFC the LAFC to one goal in LAFC, one of the toughest places to go in this hemisphere. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and they were able to we saw do. Saw own struggle there. <laughs> they did. Yeah, they just had. And I think that. Look, they built very veteran-heavy in terms of Major League Soccer. Uh, Paul McDonough definitely knows what he's doing. He was also—he didn't get the the same love and recognition uh, from abroad as like Tata Martino or Paul or I'm um, sorry, uh, Carlos Bocanegra did. Yeah, with Atlanta, but he did just as much to build that first roster. Mm-hmm. So having him there, tremendous work. I think that that's a really really smart hire, uh, and and I think that he is one of the better, uh, you know, kind of sporting executives in Major League Soccer. I think that you're looking at. I mean, with what they need, it's pretty easy. You just need a star playmaker. Yeah. And there are so many of those who want to play for David Beckham's club that I don't think you're going to really have an issue bringing that team up just another level. Who's going to be the best team in the East? There's a non-zero chance it's Inter Miami this year. Yeah, if they get if they get that star forward that has been heavily rumored since David Beckham got the franchise, right? They're yeah, they could be the they could be the team from the East. I think which they, is incredible. Which is yeah, and and not a good sign either. No. For the rest, for the pre-existing, like Atlanta, there's nothing you can do. But if you're NYC, if you're Columbus, if you're Philly, if you're Toronto, and Inter-Miami is the conference representative in MLS Cup in mm-hmm. 2020, you did something really wrong. It's not going to happen. Oh, maybe it might. Inter-Miami, MLS Cup final in Miami or oh. Fort, Lauder- Fort Lauderdale, whatever. Right. But oh, I would love still that in Miami. Lockhart. That would be so oh. good. That would be fun. That would be so much fun. I mean, look, there's a. There's I almost kind of want to cheer for it now to happen. MLS Cup I in do. Miami. That'd be amazing. That would be so cool. Yeah. All right, Bob. We'll, Bob Bradley. We'll talk about it. That Carlos Ugh. Vela goal. Yeah. You can't do that to Luis Robles. No. 
No, that you was can't. mean. That was just cruel. Poor Luis. It was like any time. I know Minnesota loved chipping Nick Romano, but anytime <laughs> yes. someone would, it's just like, Christian Ramirez did. yeah, just like, come on. Yeah. Like, dude's trying. He's just short <laughs> for the position. Like, cut him a little slack, right? That was totally uncalled for what they did to Luis Robles. I felt for the guy, but man, what a goal. I, I love it. I love watching Velazos. I love him. Uh, <laughs> Vela Galazos. Uh, it's a term I'm really trying to nail home, and I think I like it, it. it got a little traction uh, I like it. during the game on Sunday. I'll take it. But man, he's fun to watch. He's a special Absolutely. player. Um, moving over to the the Western Conference, Sporting KC three one win over Vancouver. Mm-hmm. I'm not so confident that's actually a good result because I don't think Vancouver are good at all. No, they're. Th- I don't think they no. should read into that result like many people are. That Sporting Kansas City is suddenly back. Right. You still gave up a goal to Vancouver, who don't look very good going forward. Nope. They don't look very good doing much of anything. No, they don't. And they still pressured and gave Sporting a good, hard though. time. Oh, their jerseys are fantastic. <laughs> I'll give them that. Yeah, they look great. Uh, if they're a bunch of mannequins and models, I think they're <laughs> tremendous for this league. But no. It, I'm with you. I, I think that Sporting Kansas City is in that chasing pack. There are like three, four teams uh, in that upper tier where you're like, okay, these should be the top four. By my estimation, that's Seattle, LAFC, LA Galaxy, and Minnesota. Then you have that kind of next tier, um, and, and probably in about that order, actually. Then you have teams five through ten where you're like, anyone can make it, anyone can miss it. It really depends on some injuries, and it depends on form mm-hmm. uh, away from home. Kansas City's in that tier. I certainly don't. I'm, I'm with you. I don't think that they're going to suddenly be like, you know, planning the parade route through Kansas City <laughs> once again for MLS Cup. Right. Um, so let's move on to the USL for a little bit. That's mm-hmm. where you said you cover a lot. Tim Howard announced today that he will be playing for the team he partly owns as their goalkeeper now. Right. Out of nowhere after calling it retirement. Yeah. And what is it, four day three days before they play their first game. Three days before their Tim opening. Howard be Tim Howard will be the starting keeper for Memphis. Well, so he'll start when he wants. Yeah. Right. <laughs> As the owner, you he's get the that owner, call. right? Like and he's the sporting director. Like he can say, like, I'm taking the day off. Mm-hmm. And they have to listen. Right. So it's, it's this really weird power dynamic. When I spoke with him in January, he was adamant and he was saying like, yeah, of course, I'll miss it like every ex-pro does when they retire. But, you know, I, I, I sleep better at night. I'm working with my daughter to make sure that she can go D1 college as a goalkeeper as well. You know, I'm still getting my reps like that. I get to put on the gloves. My knees thank me that I'm not going out there and doing this all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now he's doing this. It <laughs> certainly it was a surprise to me. It was a surprise to a lot of teams in the USL uh, a lot of people worrying about the optics of it and saying, like, it, it just kind of looks like a mockery to an extent. Right. But, like, Didier Drogba co-owned Phoenix Rising and played for them for a couple of True. years in a story that was first reported by Andy Greeter of the Pioneer Press uh, out of nowhere, which was awesome. Um, and, and I think that was uh, – that is very much a quirk, not a bug of the USL. Where right now when the expansion fees are so low that ex-pros can comfortably afford it as part of right. an owner consortium. Uh, I mean, like, look, David Villa is bringing a team into uh, Queens, Queens right. uh, with Queensborough FC. Maybe he'll suit up for a couple of times, right? <laughs> like, he could. He right. very well could. And he won't have speed. But he can finish better than anyone in that league right now. Right. So, I don't know. It, it's, it seems weird. It's weird. It, it seems like a gimmick. It seems like the sort of thing that personally I would have expected them to do if they were out of playoff contention and need to sell some tickets for their home finale for fan appreciation night. <laughs> that makes complete sense to me. But try like 
man, if you had been sold this whole time because they had two other goalkeepers on the roster and you were th- thinking like, okay, these are the two that I have to go up against. You went through an entire preseason thinking, okay, it's me and this other guy. Yeah, we have to bring in a third, but like they weren't here for the preseason. Like who are they going right. to bring in? Like, of course it's going to just be someone who's like helping us, like a young kid from Memphis or whatever, who's going to be helping up the ranks or he's going to be like a USL journeyman guy. Mm-hmm. Nope. It's Tim Howard. It's the owner. Right. Just comes down guy. from the owner's box. Like, nah, guys, move out of here. I'm going to be, I'm going to take over. It's brutal. Um, I think you have the piece up at the athletic right now. Basically previewing the Western Conference. Yep. What East will come to. Yeah, East too. <laughs> I will do that uh, eventually, yeah. What yeah, yeah. are the big storylines for those who don't follow the USL as closely? What are the big storylines heading into 2020? At a, ma- expect at to- a macro level, uh, accessibility has never been greater for a national audience. They just signed a three-year deal with ESPN. Mm-hmm. So they will have every single game of both the cha- second division championship, which is 35 clubs, and League One, which Ford Madison is in, near and dear to every soccer fan's heart in Minnesota. Uh, all great of jerseys. those games will be streamed live and for replay on ESPN Plus. It's awesome, which is great for when you're bored during the day. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, we have the TVs in the studios, and there's always a game on. So I'm so everybody knows at the station that I'm the soccer guy. They'll look over in the studio. Yep. I've got a soccer game on it's all great. the time. It's perfect. Yeah. yeah. And so there's a lot of opportunity to watch it. Uh, in that sense, that's been a huge success for them. And being able to actually get real revenue for that contract this year, uh, that's going to be really big for them too. Uh, you've got Landon Donovan, who is mm-hmm. coaching for the first time. Uh, he coached like the MLS homegrown game or whatever, just like a bunch of academy kids yeah. playing sponsored by Chipotle, um, the new Mexican <laughs> restaurant of U.S. soccer, which is also a joke. Uh, but he is the technical director and head coach of San Diego Loyal. Uh, which is San Diego's new professional team. Uh, they've been doing a lot of outreach into Tijuana, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and they've got two former loons. They've got Joe Greenspan, uh, 2019 USL Defender of the Year, and Colin Martin, uh, who spent the last three years with Minnesota United. Uh, so I think that they'll be pretty competitive. They'll be fun to watch. And if nothing else, it's just going to be fascinating to see how Landon wants to coach mm-hmm. now that he's a full-time coach. Uh, Phoenix Rising won 20 games in a row last year, which is a, a record for outdoor professional American men's soccer. Uh, or anywhere in North America, for that matter. Uh, so that's pretty sweet. Uh, El Paso Locomotive is one of the most fun teams to watch in terms of tactics. They like to play with the ball at their feet. Mark Lowry is a 30-something-year-old coach who I think has a lot of potential to become an MLS coach in the future. Um, the West is much better than the East. Are uh, we going to start seeing that top jump? Top to bottom. The jump from for USL coaches or players, for yeah. that matter, from USL to MLS? It's been happening more. Uh, but, I mean, like when you're talking about the, the, the transfer fees that are coming in for USL players from MLS clubs, it's not sexy money. No. Like, we're talking, like, the, the ones that I was reporting this offseason, it's like $50,000 for a defensive midfielder, uh, $35,000 when Mark Anthony Kay went to LAFC from Louisville City a couple mm-hmm. of years back. What a steal that was. You know, like, there's a, there's a couple of these players in their 20s, who will be sold on for not significant money yet, but that is still significant when you're a non-professional club, or when you're a professional club who's not expecting those kind of payments. Uh, Will you see more of it? I hope so. I think you should. I think that that in any functioning country soccer ecosystem, you should have that sort of upward and downward trajectory. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously there are players who will move down. There will be players who are just kind of the chaff from MLS rosters who will land and be okay at the USL level. That happens every single year. That has happened for decades in U.S. But you don't have that upward as much yet. You've got Mark Dos Santos over in Vancouver, and I'm really worried about his job security this year, (laughs) especially if Vancouver is the team that they look like on opening weekend, which Mm -hmm. I think they are. Uh, Or Gio Savarisi moving up from the New York Cosmos of the NASL, where Minnesota United used to play before they went to Major League Soccer. You've got a couple of coaches. James O'Connor had gone up to Orlando City for a hot minute there. Adrian Heath moved up from the USL technically as well. Um, There should be more of that, but with the more money that comes in Major League Soccer, I think that they start to set their sights a little higher in terms of the coaching Mm -hmm. thing. 
thing. So there are a lot of coaches who are worried that that ship has sailed and now they're really wondering what their upward progress looks like in their yeah. careers. Um, and then finishing off here, kind of a growing storyline, I guess, throughout the world. It's kind of the topic on everybody's mind right now. Kevin Baxter of the LA Times tweeted out today that teams in LA County may be asked to either cancel games or play them behind closed doors due to the coronavirus. Um, we've already seen Italy announce today that all games will be played behind closed doors until right. early April, which is an incredible step to take. Do you have any insight on what MLS's plan is to deal with the potential slash maybe eventual outbreak of the coronavirus in the U.S.? Yeah, so this is something that Major League Soccer and the United Soccer League have been working with uh, the CDC and the DH, Department of Homeland Security, uh, to really stay on top of. And, and what they're telling, so the USL put out their messaging last week, and I'm pretty sure uh, on Friday, Commissioner Don Garber is going to be on a show on Fubo TV um, with Julie, Julie Stewart Binks. And there's already a clip that's been circulating with the media. Uh, and I got a follow up from the person at Fubo who is asking, why didn't you tweet it yet? So I should probably tweet that soon. Uh, but from the USL side, what I can tell you and what I would imagine MLS is going to say, too, is, quote, there is a plan as best as there can be. Uh, clubs will identify local and state health authorities in their area, maintain regular contact to stay informed of recommendations and best practices for the well-being of players, staff and fans, as well as the potential for local outbreak and then have event and venue specific plans based on the guidance from those local authorities and the CDC and the Department of Homeland Security. So what's what's going to be interesting about that is that you are looking for some sort of great plan, mm-hmm. but this isn't a natural disaster. Right. You know, and, and thoughts go out right now to Nashville, too, by the way, who just yeah, also had absolutely. a terrible tornado that wrecked a lot of players and uh, like club staff's apartments, too. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but with a natural disaster, you can chart it. You can think about what are exit strategies. You've probably thought about it with like a hurricane on a coastal city, for example, right. but with a medical undetectable thing like coronavirus or COVID-19, you're not able to go ahead and take those same like early preventative steps that you think uh, that you've been planning ahead for years for. So I think a lot of this still will be a yes, we know. (laughs) Yes, we're Mm -hmm. thinking about it. And yes, we will react when we know we have no other choice. Right. Right. Like they're not going to say like, oh, everyone will be fine. We're going to fly in uh, whatever. (laughs) And we're just going to play games like nothing else. And if you get sick, sorry, we're not liable. Right. That's never going to happen. I think the fact that Italy, uh, as, as football rabid Italy is, mm-hmm. are taking this step too. Other countries will feel much more comfortable pointing at that and saying, like, well, we will too then. Yeah. Because if they're going to do it, like, we don't have a choice. Um, so they and will be one tracking of the biggest it. counties in this country, L.A., yeah. is already telling teams where they have the L.A., the, the Lakers, the Clippers, two of the best basketball teams in the country right now, yep. they're telling them you may have to cl- play games behind closed doors or perfectly cancel them. Right. Like, right. I think most other places in this country will be able to say, yeah. right, and so I th- get there. Yeah. And so you're looking, obviously, it goes west to east at this point if it is truly coming from kind of East Asia. So you're looking at, I mean, Seattle, Washington already has like a lot of documented yep. cases. Like Sounders might be one of the first teams to react. Portland Timbers might be one of the first teams to react too in that scene. So it is definitely something that's going to be on the radar. Uh, would I be surprised if uh, if games are postponed or canceled this year? No, but we right. haven't seen anything like this no. except for Colorado getting the plague randomly last summer, <laughs> right. which was a thing that happened. Groundhogs got the plague yeah, outside of the stadium there. Um, 
But at the same point, like there are things that you can do. I mean, you've all heard it right now, but like wash your hands for like 20 seconds, but also just like wash your hands, you filthy people. Like, I don't <laughs> that know. That should be something you have to do. You right. do anyways. Like, Why I do we have to tell you now because there's a virus on them? It's wild that suddenly people are like, okay, I guess I'll wash my hands now. It's like, <laughs> uh, you learn so much about people when <laughs> that sort been of doing that earlier. comes out. It's nuts. Uh, but yeah, like for real, just like wash your hands and stuff. And like, don't, I, I don't know, just like. Be smart about it. I right. think that there's a lot of this, too, where it what the league is going to be able to say is, like, follow the procedures that the health professionals of the country uh, are telling you to do. And I think that that's something, too, that's really important to remember because in the media, even though we are sports media, very specialized, yeah. you know, there are times where there will be racism in stadiums like there looked like there was today at Tottenham Stadium. Yeah. Or there will be incidents of homophobia or there will be, you know, incidents of a player coming out. And, and and all of that puts you into a different vein of it when it's like life and death like this. And when it's medical, let the medical professionals Absolutely. speak and listen to them. Uh, don't go out here and wait to say like, OK, unless uh, LeBron James is saying like we need to cancel this, then we're going to play the games. Right. No, LeBron James is not an expert on medical outbreaks. Yeah. So he's an this, expert on how to how to play basketball <laughs> really well. expert on how to play as- yeah. basketball real well for the last 16 years. So I, I think in that vein, like just keep listening to medical professionals in the country take them seriously uh, i don't know if, if you can't do that like i don't know what kind of help there really is out there at that point probably not a whole lot of help probably from. not unfortunately um anything that we haven't talked about that surprised you most from week 1 of the mls uh i think that imbalance between the west and the east it was a little bit predictable but maybe not to the extent of how it played out i think that the west looked like they had had an extra month of preseason by and large the best teams in the west and we're talking about you know even including that second tier that i talked to you like that five through ten team Mm -hmm. like they just look night and day so much better than most of the eastern conference yeah so i think that that imbalance is definitely something to look for and something that's even in the days where one conference has been or the years where one conference was stronger than the other, it's to an extent that's pretty unprecedented right now, at least both on paper and through the first week of the season. So that's something that surprised me. But overall, the results, I don't think any of them truly surprised me just yet. Um, But it's a long season and I'm (laughs) sure some will. Yep. All right. That went a lot longer than I had anticipated. So I apologize to you for that. Oh, That's fine. Um, so let people know where they can find you, what your latest work is at The Athletic. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff Reuter, R-U-E-T-E-R. Uh, everything I put out is on The Athletic. I'm a staff writer there covering soccer. Uh, Minnesota United, yes, the morning loon is back. <laughs> what a week it's been for that one. Uh, it seemed like such a good decision based off of everything that my editors and I could see and hear. Mm-hmm. And it was not. And that's okay. I am more than happy to admit that I was wrong on that one. And it means that there's just going to be more game recaps on The Athletic uh, every single week now moving forward. Um, and today, uh, on Wednesday, put out an article talking about the counterattack at better length, talking with Michael Boxall about a defender's role in that, and when you get a ball, when do you think to clear it, when do you look up, when do you send in that pass, because you don't have as long as I just talked about it, you don't have right. that long to make that decision. No. Uh, so how do you build those instincts, and what do you look for in, all, in plays and stuff? And he was really generous with his answers on that, too. So some really kind of interesting sort of inside baseball sort of stuff with that. Um, 
Otherwise, yeah, USL season previews, Eastern Conference should drop either tomorrow or Friday, and then the USL anonymous coach, coaches poll should drop also by the end of the week. Hopefully, touch wood. Otherwise, early next week. Uh, and wash your hands, guys. Yeah. That's my last thing. Just <laughs> wash your hands. Love it. Thank you, sir, for all of your time. I know I kept you a lot longer than the 30, 40 minutes I <laughs> had texted you about earlier. So I very much appreciate the time. Thank you for yeah. coming on Loon Talk. I am Jonathan Harrison. You can find me on Twitter at John Harrison ninety J O N H A R R I S O N ninety. I am on. The, I'm also the host of the pre half and post game shows right here on Minnesota United or right here on Score North of the Minnesota United Radio broadcast. You can hear San Jose and Minnesota United right here on Saturday. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back next week. To be your best every day. You need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples... Temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.